Hello, I'm Blair Lemke. Welcome to Let God Speak. Freedom and love are central to who God is and how He governs the universe. As we submit to God and His law of love, we experience true freedom from sin in our lives. Our Bible study today will reveal this. On our panel today, we have Casey Butler and John Cosmeyer. Thank you for joining us. Pleasure. Welcome. As always, let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the opportunity that we have to study your word today. We ask that as we study, you send your Holy Spirit to lead and to guide us into truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, today we begin a new Bible study series looking at present truth in the book of Deuteronomy. And uh, we're going to start off our time together this morning by looking at a very fascinating story found in 2 Kings chapter 22. So let's read there together in 2 Kings chapter 22, verses 1 and 2, we read in God's word. Josiah was eight years old when he became king and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidiah, the daughter of Adiah of Bozkath. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father, David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. Uh, A good king. Now we note as we look down in verse eight, uh, then Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. And then looking down in verse 11, we read, Now it happened when the king heard the words of the book of the law that he tore his clothes. Mm. An interesting and fascinating story that I'd like to just spend a little bit of time unpacking with our panel here today. Uh, Casey, I want to throw the question to you. Mm. Verse 11 there, we see King Josiah tearing his clothes Mm. as he read the book of the law. Uh, Why exactly did he do this? Well, it was a kind of a customary thing back in those days that when people were very, very distressed or upset about something, um, they would tear their clothes to indicate remorse or sorrow or mourning or a, a very variety of things such as that. And it's interesting if you read a few verses on in that very chapter, uh, verse 12 and 13, it says the following. Then the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam the son of Shaphan, Akbor the son of Micaiah, Shaphan the scribe, and Isaiah a servant of the king, saying, Go, inquire of the Lord for me, for the people and for all Judah, concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is aroused against us, because our fathers have not obeyed Mm. the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. So he is so distressed because he sees and recognizes from the law that the people as a whole and their forefathers have gone way aside from God's commands and he's concerned about the the consequences that will come upon them as a result of that. Mm. Yeah, an appropriate response in light of that. It's interesting to note as well that this uh, experience of discovering the book of the law uh, resulted in a national revival mm. in Israel as they turned back and, and to, to look at this book of the law. Uh, John, I wanted to throw the question to you. Uh, this book of the law that had such an impact 
on the nation of Israel at this time. What exactly is this book of the law? The book of the law is called Deuteronomy. And this story that you read is repeated in Chronicles. And Chronicles gives us a very good clue as just which one of the five books is the book that we're talking about. And I'm reading from 2 Chronicles chapter 34 and verse 14 in the New King James Version, where it says, Now when they brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. And when you turn over the page and you come to verse 31, the king stood in the place and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in the book. Now, the book of Deuteronomy is the book of the covenant mm. in the Old Testament, mm. in the New Testament at Hebrews. Mm. And here Deuteronomy is the fifth book of Moses and it also has five different names. And Deuteronomy indicates that here is the second time that mm. the law of the Lord is given. The first time was at the beginning of the wanderings in the wilderness, mm. which is recorded in Exodus, and then it's repeated in Deuteronomy. And that's why it's called Deutero, which mm. is duet, mm. the, the second time, nomos, is the Greek the word for, for law. Mm. And so we, we are studying the background history of that book. Yeah, well, what, a, what an appropriate book to be studying in this Bible study series, uh, the book of the law that caused this natural, uh, you know, this national revival in Israel. Uh, and our study series that we're looking at over the next several weeks uh, in looking at the book of Deuteronomy is actually looking at present truth in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, truths that are especially applicable to our time today. And so, Casey, I want to throw the question to mm. you in light of this special focus as we study the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, what, uh, are there parable, parallels between the book of Deuteronomy and our time today uh, that allow for special present truth in the book of De Deuteronomy? Mm. Yeah, there are. And it's interesting um, when, you, when you look at the context of, of when Deuteronomy was given to the children of Israel. As uh, John sort of indicated before, it was the second time that the law was given. This was right near the end of their wanderings in the wilderness, that this, this book was delivered. And in, as you read through the book, it, it recounts their whole journeys through the wilderness, reminds them of their experiences, draws out the important lessons, and then gives them almost like a a, a charge full of counsel that, hey, you're going from here into the promised land. Um, this is what you need to follow if you're going to live happily and successfully in that place. And so it talks about the law and um, all the things that they, they needed to follow in order to be God's covenant people. And the parallels to us today is that we are on the borders of the heavenly world mm, as well. Sure. We believe that Christ is coming soon from prophecy. We know that. And um, so because we have a similar situation, um, we can learn lots of lessons from this for learning to be prepared to enter, the, enter heaven mm. and live there with God. Yeah, well, in many ways, we're right on the border of the promised land, just as the, uh, that, the, those in Deuteronomy were as well. Yeah. So 
what parallels, uh, we're going to be drawing many of these parallels out as we study over the coming series. Mm. Well, in today's study, we're not actually even going to turn to the book of Deuteronomy, um, but rather we're going to be providing an introduction and a context for the book Uh, as we continue to pick up this study series over the coming weeks. Uh, And we're going to be covering the history of Deuteronomy starting way back in heaven. Now, this might seem like a bit of a strange, quite a strange place to start a series on the book of Deuteronomy. And so, John, I want to throw the question to you. Uh, What are we trying to achieve here by giving the background context in such a thorough way? Always remember that content is best understood by context. Mm. If we know the context in which the book is written, Mm. it gives us a far better understanding of what Deuteronomy is trying to tell us. Mm. And one of the things about the the book of Deuteronomy is that the format is the same as a Hittite covenant. Mm. And so here we go outside of the Bible and discover part of the context. Mm. And when we look even back further, we will see in the context in which the content is written. Yeah, well, with that said, let's turn our attention to a passage in Scripture to set this context. Uh, I think you've pointed out that so powerfully that this is important. Context is important to help Mm. us to understand the book of Deuteronomy. And so let's have a look here. We're going to turn to Ezekiel chapter 28, Mm. and we're going to read verses 12 through to 17, uh, and a, a passage of Scripture here describing the fall of Lucifer in heaven. Let's read together. God's word says, You are the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardis, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. Mm. You were perfect in all your ways from the day that you were created till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor and I cast you to the ground." What an interesting passage here. Uh, And Mm. Casey, I want to throw a question to you. Uh, Mm. Lucifer was created perfect Mm. uh, and yet sin was found in him. Mm. And I want to uh, ask the question, how is it possible that sin could be found in a perfect created being? Mm. Yeah, well, to to answer that to the point, it's, it's basically because God created every one of his intelligent creatures with moral freedom. He created them with the power to choose And um, they had a choice either to obey God or to actually turn away and and disobey him. And Lucifer decided to take the second option and and disobey God and go a different direction. Mm. Well, if and and I think, you know, you've unpacked that so beautifully. Uh, Following on from that, if creating Lucifer and the other angels with moral freedom carried with it the risk of them choosing, you know, to Mm. obey or disobey, to have freedom of choice. Uh, I want to ask the question, why God, and I'll throw this one to you, John, why God was so committed to creating angels with this freedom Mm. to disobey or to obey? What's God trying to achieve 
here. It seems like a risky move. Hmm. Blair, in the letter that Christ's personal friend John wrote in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8, John makes it abundantly clear that he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Mm. Mm. And this is where, because God is a person who operates entirely in universal love, Mm. he has given us the privilege and the right to choose whatever we want to choose. Now, he is saying, you love the way I love and I will help you to do that. And Lucifer chose not to do that. And look at the mess that this world, mm-hmm. in fact, the whole yeah. universe is in. Yeah. This is a universal problem. And we are studying the book of Deuteronomy mm. with this in mind, that we are dealing here with something that touches the universe, not just this world or us each individually. Well, you know, it's interesting because what that shows us and what you've just demonstrated is that freedom and love are really central to who God is and, and to how he chooses to govern the universe. Uh, and what I find interesting, we're going to turn our attention now to another passage of scripture. Just as with the angelic beings, when God created humanity, we see these same elements in play. And so let's have a look here in Genesis chapter 2. And I'd like to read here verses 16 and 17 as we consider these same themes in the book of Genesis. We read God's word. It says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree in the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you will surely die. Uh, Casey, I want to throw this question to you. Mm. How was this action of placing the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the midst of the garden, uh, how was this consistent with God's character of love and commitment to freedom? Mm. Yeah, well, you notice there in verse 16, he said you can eat of every tree in the garden freely. So he wants people to have freedom to enjoy all that he has made. But at the same time, there must be an opportunity to choose. So he gives a minor restriction, which, uh, which is basically that the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they're not to eat. That's the one, one thing that they are to refrain from if they were to demonstrate their loyalty to God. So you see both of these elements there, God preserving freedom, but at the same time giving an opportunity to, to choose and serve him out of mm. love. And it's, it's really just a complete repeat of the creation of the angelic beings in heaven. Mm. Same principles at play, love and freedom. God's fundamentally committed to these things. Mm. Well, tragically, as you pointed out, we know that Adam and Eve used their freedom to disobey God. And we see the fall in Genesis chapter three and the entrance of sin into the world. Uh, John, I want to throw the question to you. What were the ongoing effects of sin entering into the world after the fall as a result of this? Blair, they went from bad to worse. And I'm reading once again from the New King James Version. But in Genesis this time, the very first book right at the beginning, 1,500 years after creation took place, here in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. And the violence and the corruption of the world was so bad mm. that God decided to destroy the world and start again. Mm. It was almost a second creation yeah. to try and give the world a chance to operate. Mm. 
Well, after this so-called second cre creation, uh, did things get any better after this flood experience, Casey? No, they didn't. The, the people who were alive that time, they still went out in rebellion against God. Instead of spreading out over the earth, they built a big tower and um, lived their lives in, in denial of God. Well, it's quite a tragic reality, really, that um, it seems time and time again, the freedom of choice was used to turn away from God and to disobey God. Mm. Uh, what we notice in the biblical record immediately after this scattering, we find the call of Abram, or later Abraham. Mm. And so I'd like to read here from Genesis chapter 12, verses one to three, this call of Abraham. We read in God's word, it says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in all the families of the earth and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Uh, I want to throw uh, this question uh, to you, John. Uh, today, as we look back at this calling of Abraham after the cross uh, and we, you know, we've, we've got the, the death of Jesus, we've got the spreading of the gospel. How do we understand what God was trying to or promising through Abraham here in this call? Mm. <laughs> well, Galatians chapter three, fortunately, explains it to us. And in verse seven, it said, therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. And so here God had given the world a second chance. He used Abraham. Hmm. And not only did he use Abraham personally, but from Abraham eventually Jesus was born. And of course it's in him that the world is mm. richly is richly blessed. Mm. And so God's intention had always been to give the good news of the gospel to the world. Mm. Well, after the, I guess most of the rest of the book of Genesis really is just a history of dysfunctional seed after dysfunctional seed trying to, you know, uh, fulfill these promises. Um, and ultimately it results in the culmination uh, well, we, we come to the call of Moses in Exodus chapter 19. And I'd like to read that for our attention. Mm. Exodus chapter 19, verses four to eight. We find in God's word, it says, uh, you've seen what I did to the Egypt Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you'll be a special treasure to me above all people for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, these are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So Moses brought, brought back the words uh, of the people to the Lord. Hmm. Uh, interesting passage again. And Casey, hmm. I want to throw the question to you. Uh, why did the Lord call the people out from Egypt here in, as we see in this little passage of scripture? Hmm. Yeah, well, he wanted to train them um, to be a, a people who would honor and serve him. And um, he because he wanted to make them into a great nation. Um, he wanted them to be people who would keep his covenant, who would obey his commandments and who would be a blessing to the world. Because ultimately he wanted to give the world an example of the goodness of his government. 
and he needed a people who would cooperate him in order, with him in order to demonstrate this. It's, it's very interesting. Um, and we see in this passage, I want to throw this one to you, John. We see in this passage uh, that a crucial component for Israel in regards to this covenant, as you've pointed out, what God wanted them to achieve. And I want to ask you, John, uh, according to this passage, what is the crucial component for Israel uh, in this covenant that we've just read about? You've used the word covenant. The covenant is an agreement between two people. And once you make that agreement, you are asked, you are expected to keep it. Mm. And this is where you read in verse 8, then all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Mm. The intention was there Mm. and the goodness was there. And they go and dance (laughs) in front of a golden calf, really, (laughs) truly. And so the fault is not with the covenant. Mm. We have to decide to follow God and to obey Mm. because that is the way, the best way for us to live. Well, that word you've used there, obey, and we read it in Scripture, you know, there's there's a very clear call here in this covenant to obedience to God and to His Mm. law. Um, I've heard it said from time to time that obedience and trying to follow God's law as closely as you can is legalism. Um, how would you answer this case? Is, is obedience legalism? Well, if obedience is actually a response to love, it's actually an expression of faithfulness mm. to the one loved. So if you read in John 14, verse 15, it actually says, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Mm. And so you see that following God's law closely, it's, it's faithfulness. It's not legalism when it's, when it's couched in love. Mm, beautiful thing and something for us important to consider. Uh, John, I want to throw this question to you. You've said that they made this commitment to all that the Lord has said will do. Uh, how successful were the Israelites in upholding their end of the covenant agreement? Well, as I said earlier, they got up and danced around the golden calf. When in actual fact, obedience, our obedience puts the responsibility of God to keep his end of the covenant. Hmm. And so obedience Hmm. is a two-way effect, isn't it? Hmm. And that's when it becomes a real blessing. Well, uh, unfortunately, as we know, the biblical record bears out the fact that uh, mostly uh, it seemed to be the norm that This is what people would do with their freedom. They would rebel against God. And even so quickly after the covenant was established there on Mount Sinai, Mm -hmm. the golden calf, just moments later. uh, And this trend seems to continue as we go on throughout biblical history. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, as a result of this unfaithfulness, God meted out. He gave a punishment Mm -hmm. to the people of Israel. Mm -hmm. And I want to ask you, Casey, uh, what that punishment was uh, that God gave to Israel because of their unfaithfulness in this area? Mm. Well, let's have a look at the scripture because it gives us the full picture of what happened. Um, Looking at Numbers chapter 14 and verse 28 to 35, we find out what happened. So Numbers chapter 14 and verse 28 says, Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in this wilderness. All of you who were numbered according to your entire number from 20 years old and above, except for Caleb, the son of Jephunneh and Joshua, the son of Nun, you shall by no means 
enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell in. But your little ones, whom you said would be victims, I will bring in, and they shall know the land which you have despised. But as for you, your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness, and your sons shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years, mm. and bear the brunt of your infidelity until your carcasses are consumed in the wilderness. According to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, forty days, for each day you shall bear your guilt one year, namely forty years, and you shall know my rejection. I, the Lord, have spoken this. I will surely do so to all this evil congregation who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall be consumed, and there they shall die. <laughs> so there Pretty is the somber. answer. Yes, <laughs> they were um, given a punishment to, to spend 40 years wandering in the wilderness um, in consequence of their rebellion. A delay to entering into the promised land that they mm. needn't have had to endure uh, if yeah. they had simply... Uh, followed God and faithfully and, and not rebelled in such a rebellious manner. Mm. Um, there's certainly many lessons that we can draw from this to ourselves today. Mm. And I want to ask that question. I want to ask John and Casey if, if you have, you know, what lessons can we learn from Israel's failure mm. in this area? Blair, 12 days of travel because of their disobedience and they are not willing to keep their part in the covenant, ended up in 40 mm. years of traveling in the wilderness, mm. and all of them died. As Paul said in Romans 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. Mm. That, that's the price we pay mm. if we don't keep our part of the covenant. Mm. But... The gift of God is eternal life mm. in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Mm. That is what God wants. Mm. He wants to give us eternal life. Sin has real consequences, but doesn't sin, it? <laughs> but sin, you die. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Important lesson. Yeah. Yeah. I am reminded of the verse in Proverbs. It says um, in Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. And this is, this is what Israel often failed to do. They didn't trust God and obey him in all of the, all of the ways that he indicated. And we just find, at least when you read through all the stories, especially in Deuteronomy and the other books, that God's ways are best. You know, mm. he wants the best for his people. He has the wisdom to direct and guide his people in the, in the best way possible. And if we can just keep that forefront in mind, it would be a great inspiration for us in being faithful to what he calls us to do, because it's going to be honorable, honorable to God as well as be the best for us as well. So it's, it's a blessing to follow God closely like that. Yeah, and really just a simple call to trust in God. Mm. Uh, obedience in many ways is simply to trust in God and put mm. our faith in him. What a beautiful lesson. Yes. Well, thank you so much for joining us there. It's about all that we have time for. Mm. As the book of the law that was rediscovered by an ancient Israelite king led to a national revival, so too God's law can bring revival and restoration to your life today. As we put our trust in him, he safely guides us in the paths that we should go. Won't you put your trust in him today? 
We're glad that you joined us today on Let God Speak. If you would like to watch this program again or any of our past programs, you can go to our website, 3abnaustralia.org.au. You can also download teacher's notes there. You can email us on lgs at 3abnaustralia.org.au. Please join us again next time. God bless. You have been listening to Let God Speak, a production of 3ABN Australia Television. To catch up on past programs, please visit 3abnaustralia.org.au. Call us in Australia on 02 4973 3456 or email radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. We'd love to hear from you.